Uh, Please join me in today's reading of Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Uh, Please join me in the response. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God. Amen. Thank you, Carter. Good morning. morning. It is such a joy to worship with all of you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Carrie Everson. I am the director of Young Adults and Young Women's Ministries here at FPC. I am also wife to Cheryl and mom to two beautiful daughters, Madeline, who's sitting right there, seven years old, and Ella, who is four. It is such a joy and a privilege to share from God's word with you this morning. Um, For those of you joining us at home online, we're so glad that you're here as well. Please keep your Bibles open as we'll be referring back to the passage often. We're gonna, in just a minute, we're gonna dig into this beautiful story, but before we do so, please bow with me in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. We pray in these next few moments that you would remove all distractions, that you would turn our minds and hearts to you, and that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Amen. So you heard the passage read by Carter this morning, but I want you to take a moment to picture the scene with me. Jesus is dining at the home of a man named Simon the leper, along with other dinner guests. They're probably engaged in lively conversation with Jesus. And this occurs at a very crucial and intense period in Jesus' life and ministry. If you look back at verse 1, you'll see that the scribes and chief priests are plotting to have Jesus arrested and killed. In verse 10, just after this passage, Judas is about to betray him. And so this is a very crucial time. And sandwiched in between, we have this short but beautiful beautiful and powerful narrative. Um, If you read, again, the sections just before and just after, things are happening really quickly. But with this passage, suddenly, everything slows down. Jesus is relaxing and having dinner with friends. Of course, he knows what's about to happen to him, that he is about to die, but being fully God, he doesn't let that phase him. He's still able to relax and enjoy dinner with some friends. So there they all are, eating and fellowshipping together, when suddenly this woman appears on the scene. Who is this woman? Where did she come from? 
Um, do they know her? Does she live at the house? The text doesn't say exactly who she is. Now, there are different accounts of this story um, in the different Gospels, and one of them in John chapter 12 does identify the woman as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, which was a family that Jesus would often dine with um, when he was visiting in Bethany. So there's a good chance this was Mary, but there's also a chance that this kind of event could have happened more than once. Regardless, here in Mark, the text doesn't say who it was, and so we have to assume that what she did is more important than who she was. But more on that later, let's get back to the scene. So based on what we know of the culture of that day, women were not usually invited to dine with men. So this woman's appearance on the scene for any other reason than to serve food would have been shocking. And yet there she is, holding an alabaster flask, which was a jar with a long neck, which had to be broken to be opened. And she breaks it and pours it over Jesus' head. Just picture that with me. This jar filled with ointment, picture it running down the sides of his face, onto his beard, onto his shoulders, dripping onto the floor, making a horrible mess. What The dinner guests, which most likely included Jesus' disciples, are indignant, disgusted, angry. What a waste. All that money wasted in one fell swoop. Just think of how many poor people could have been fed if she had just sold it instead of pouring it all out. It's not the anointing they're upset about. Anointing a guest's head with oil, especially an honored guest like Jesus, was a common practice in that day. But normally that would have been two or three drops of oil, not an entire bottle. So it's not the anointing they're upset about, it's the amount. They see it as wasteful and irresponsible. They probably think that Jesus is going to agree with them, even commend them for their wisdom and care for the poor. They're waiting to hear him rebuke her and preach to her about using her resources more wisely. But Jesus shocks everyone when he rebukes the dinner guests instead of her. He says in verse 6, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then in verse 9, he says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What? Why, Jesus? Don't you care about the poor? Don't you think she was foolish to waste that precious ointment? Why would you defend her? And what's this about anointing your body for burial anyway? Why are you criticizing us? She's the one acting carelessly. Or was she? What was it that Jesus saw in this woman that caused him to respond to her with such compassion and affirmation? What did he see in her that his fellow dinner guests just couldn't see? It's simple. Jesus saw her heart. You see, friends, Jesus is looking for hearts that are devoted to him. He didn't, that's what he saw in this woman. He didn't see her past, whatever it might have entailed. He didn't see her present appearance or status. He didn't care about what others thought of her. He saw her heart, which was attuned to his. And that is all that mattered to Jesus. And I would argue that that is still all that matters to Jesus. Jesus is looking for hearts that are devoted to him. So what does that mean? What are the characteristics of a heart that's devoted to Jesus? 
Well, first of all, a heart that's devoted to Jesus demonstrates single-minded focus on Jesus. We see that clearly in this woman's actions. She comes into the room and she heads straight for Jesus. She doesn't say anything. She just proceeds to do something costly and risky right in front of everyone, breaking the vial and pouring the ointment all over Jesus. That's all we have. The text doesn't reveal what she was thinking, how she was feeling, how she responded after Jesus defended her. Yet we don't really need any other information in order to understand that these, this woman loved Jesus with single-minded devotion. If she didn't, why would she have done something so crazy, so extravagant, so likely to provoke criticism and rejection? The answer is she wouldn't have. She would have stayed out of that room and held on to her costly alabaster flask. But this woman wasn't overly concerned about anyone but Jesus. She only had eyes for him. She came into that room and she didn't see the stairs directed at her. She didn't worry about what people were going to think of her. She just poured out her love for Jesus by literally pouring the ointment on his head. She was willing to look foolish for Jesus because she loved him so much. And her love for him was greater than her love for anyone or anything else. So we see this woman's single-minded devotion even more clearly when we contrast her behavior with that of the other dinner guests. We don't know exactly who was there that evening, we know Simon the leper was the host, and we can assume that he wasn't still a leper because in that day, if you had leprosy, you would have been on your own outside of the community. So the fact that he's hosting a dinner party indicates that chances are he's a former leper who had been healed by Jesus. The disciples were likely there as well since they had been traveling with Jesus. But besides that, we don't know who all else was there. Regardless of who they were, their behavior and words reveal the condition of their hearts. While this woman demonstrated single-minded devotion to Jesus, these dinner guests showed that they were more concerned with appearances and living up to the status quo. They did not even try to hide their disdain. When it says that they scolded her in verse 5, the word in Greek can be translated, they snorted at her. So they are deriding her, turning up their noses at her. They're chastising her for something that Jesus is about to applaud her for. Ouch. <laughs> this reveals that their hearts are not as attuned to Jesus as they are to other things. They care about outward appearances, about respectable and appropriate behavior, about everything being proper and in order. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with caring about things being proper and in order. I myself tend to be quite a rule follower, and I appreciate it when things are done in a proper manner. And yet, anytime this desire for proper conduct gets in the place of my love and desire for Jesus, I'm in trouble. And that's exactly where this woman found herself. I mean, sorry, where the dinner guests, not the woman, <laughs> found themselves. They are so indignant because this woman is not doing what everyone expects her to do. She, and that messes with their own sense of right and wrong. They even feign concern for the poor. But Jesus knows their hearts and what is really motivating them. They're not concerned for the poor. They're concerned for appearances. 
They're nearing the time of Passover when any good Jewish person would give alms to the poor. So that's likely why they brought it up. They're concerned with looking religious and pious much more than they are concerned with having a heart that is open to Jesus. And because of this, they're critical of someone who truly shows love for Jesus. I just want to add a word of caution for all of us. When we are critical of someone, it usually reveals more about our own hearts than it does about the person that we're criticizing. Jesus himself said, first take the plank out of your own eye so that you can see to, to remove the speck from someone else's. That's from Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. These friends would have done well to heed that advice. Our criticism of others, again, reveals our own hearts much more than theirs. So the next time you or I find ourselves criticizing someone, let's try to ask ourselves, why am I so critical of this person? What does that reveal about my own heart? I don't know about the rest of you, but for me, the answer is usually self-righteousness, envy, fear, insecurity. Perhaps I need to look at myself first and let Jesus heal me before I start looking out at others and judging their actions. Perhaps we all do. So again, this woman showed single-minded devotion to Jesus through her actions. Hearts that are devoted to Jesus demonstrate that single-minded focus on him. But second, hearts that are devoted to Jesus give sacrificially with joy. The scripture makes it very clear that this woman is giving Jesus an expensive gift. It says in verse 3, she came with an alabaster flask of pure nard. That word makes me laugh, nard. <laughs> pure nard. Um, and then it says, very costly. So nard was an expensive ointment that came from India. Later, the dinner guests exclaim that this nard could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now, you might not know exactly how much that is, but a denarii was a day's wages, so 300 denarii would have been close to a year's salary. Imagine that, a year's wages all in one bottle. This was probably this woman's life savings, and it likely could have been a family heirloom. But this woman isn't concerned about that, is she? She isn't worried about her future or her past. She is only concerned about Jesus, who is right here, right now, in front of her in the present moment. But that's not all. I mentioned before, the only way to, to open this kind of alabaster flask was to break it. And so there was no resealing it. You either had to pour all of it out or nothing at all. She can't just give Jesus a little. She has to give him everything. And she's willing to do so because she knows that he is worth more than her life savings, more than her family history, more than anything she has or could hope to have. She gives fully and sacrificially to Jesus with joy because she recognizes who he is and how worthy he is. This isn't some religious ritual. Nobody asked her or told her to do this. She isn't just going through the motions. She comes on her own volition because she loves Jesus, and she does so joyfully. In Mark 8, 34 through 35, Jesus is teaching his disciples and the crowd, and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. This woman's actions are a perfect illustration of what Jesus was teaching about. By what she did, this woman is showing that kind of reckless abandonment, this willingness to die to herself in order to follow Jesus. She holds nothing back. She gives everything she has to Jesus. Now, Jesus says that she is anointing his body for burial. Does she know that? Was that her intention? Probably not. But that doesn't lessen the significance of what she does. Jesus says in verse 8 that she has done what she could. She did the best with what she knew that she could do for Jesus. That is all that mattered. That is all that he asked of her. And friends, that is all that he asks of us, that we do the best with what he has given us for him. While the disciples continued to deny that Jesus would have to die, and Peter even rebukes him when he speaks of his impending death, this woman is unwittingly preparing his body for burial. One biblical scholar said, ultimately Jesus looks not at the human wisdom of our acts, but at the love to him which prompts them. Indeed, Jesus doesn't care about how much this woman knows or doesn't know. He cares about her heart. And in turn, this woman just wants to show love to Jesus. She doesn't care about coming up with the most sophisticated strategy to show her love to him. She isn't concerned about her image or appearance. She isn't worried about getting results. She simply responds from the overflowing of her heart for Jesus. There's a French movie that my husband Charles and I um, really enjoyed watching a couple of years ago. It's called The Climb or L'Ascension in French. And just a disclaimer, we tend to have kind of quirky taste in movies. So if you see it and you're like, that was really dumb, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> But I was a French major in college, so I like French things, and Charles really likes anything that's based on a true story. So it was the perfect combination for us. Anyway, the premise of this movie, which again is based on a true story, is that this young man is in love with this young woman, but she doesn't seem that interested in him. She likes him, but she just doesn't take him that seriously. She doesn't think he's really going anywhere with his life. So he tells her that he will prove his love for her by climbing Mount Everest. She laughs and says, yeah, right. Here is this kid from the suburbs of Paris, which just so you know, the suburbs in Paris is like the inner city here. So he's from a high poverty, high unemploy uh, unemployment area. And he's claiming that he's gonna go and climb the highest mountain in the world. She just doesn't believe him, yet he shocks everyone, especially this young woman, when he actually follows through with it. It takes forever. He gets injured. He almost freezes to death. He barely makes it. But eventually, he makes it to the top of Mount Everest, all because he loves this woman and he wants to show how much he loves her. Now, I'll be honest, I did a little research after we watched the movie, and it turns out Yes, this guy really was from the suburbs of Paris. He really did climb Mount Everest, but the romance part is actually a little more Hollywood than it is true story. But that doesn't change the fact that it's a great story, isn't it? 
We all love stories that show people going to great lengths for someone that they love. People will do all kinds of crazy things when they fall in love. They'll embarrass or humiliate themselves. They will climb crazy high mountains. But how many of us are willing to do crazy things out of our love for Jesus? That is what this woman did. She loved Jesus so much that she did something stupid and crazy for him, simply because she loved him. So hearts that are devoted to Jesus demonstrate single-minded devotion, and they give sacrificially and joyfully. And finally, hearts that are devoted to Jesus point other people to him and not to themselves. As I said before, this woman is clearly not looking for accolades. She's not trying to win a popularity contest. If she had been, she would not have done what she did. Jesus interprets his, her actions for the dinner guests when he says in verse 9, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wow. Her actions directly pointed people to the gospel. In saying this, Jesus is saying so much. First of all, he's letting the dinner guests on in on his bigger mission. He was not there just to be king of this small nation in Palestine. He was not there just to save the Jews and offer them hope. Jesus was there to bring the good news, euangelion in Greek, the gospel, which is the truth of his life death, and resurrection for the salvation of those who believe in him to the entire world. Did they understand this? No, not yet. Did this woman? Probably not. But Jesus continued to patiently teach his disciples and others that his role was much bigger than what they could see in their little tiny corner of the world. His mission was for the whole world. And this woman, with her alabaster flask of ointment, simply by being obedient out of her love for Jesus, was given a significant role to play in bringing the good news to all people around the world. Wow, isn't God good? He uses anyone who has a heart that is devoted to him. Even an unnamed, seemingly insignificant, uninvited dinner guest in the Middle East more than 2,000 years ago. The words that Jesus used to describe what she did in verse 6 when he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me, uh, the Greek words for that are kalon ergon, beautiful thing, beautiful work. So kalon, don't get confused, it's not kalon, it's kalon, <laughs> although he might describe himself this way, I don't know. Um, <laughs> But Kalon can be translated um, be good, beautiful, fitting, right, honorable. And Aragon can mean work, workmanship, or craftsmanship. So what makes it such is not because of this woman, but because it points to someone greater, because it gives glory to God, that she's doing this beautiful work, this Kalon Aragon. Does this sound familiar? that good works can point people to the Lord? Yes, it's all over scripture. Matthew 5.16 says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
John 3.21 says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And Jesus himself pointed people to the Father. He says so in John 5.36, for the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Beautiful works of love carried out in response to how God has loved us first point people to our Father in heaven. Hearts that are devoted to God point people to him. She didn't pour out that ointment that day to look good, to earn something, or to be remembered or praised. She poured it out because she loved Jesus. And the result is that many others would also come to know his love. Devoted hearts point other people to Jesus. So what about you? How is your heart towards Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? Or do you merely admire him? Do you do things for him because you're trying to earn something or to prove something or to make yourself feel better? Or do you do good deeds simply because you love him so much? Friends, love for Jesus is not something that can be forced. We, sim- we can't conjure it up. We can't make ourselves love him. We either love him because we've received his love first and our good works flow out of the overflowing of that love or we do good deeds for some other motivation. So I ask again, how is your heart today toward Jesus? Are you indifferent or sorry, are you opposed to him, hostile to him, trying to make it on your own without him? Are you indifferent to him? Maybe you see him as just one part of your busy routine, someone that you acknowledge on Sundays but don't really talk to or interact with for the rest of the week. Or maybe you're similar to how I was for many years. You want to love Jesus. You want to follow him. But it almost always feels forced. You keep striving to be a good person, to serve the Lord. But sometimes your heart is just not in it. You long for transformation, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. Friends, Jesus is searching for your heart today. He wants your heart to belong to him and to no one else. He longs for you to know him and love him, like the woman that we meet in this passage. But this will never happen until you let him in. I don't know the backstory of this woman with the alabaster flask, but one thing is certain— She did not conjure up love for Jesus on her own strength. She loved Jesus because he loved her first. I would expect that she had a past, that she had sinned in some way. If we're honest, we all have a past, don't we? No one is innocent. Jesus had met her, forgiven her, and healed her. She had been changed by his love. Her actions suggest that she had experienced Jesus' love in a radical, transformational way. She loved him because he loved her first. So what about you? Have you experienced his love? I'm not talking about just knowing all the verses that talk about God's love, although that is a really good place to start. I'm talking about knowing deep down in your soul that you are loved. You are loved in all your imperfections, mistakes, failures, even in your deepest, darkest sin. You are loved when you do a lot of things for Jesus, and you're loved when you don't. 
You're loved on your best day and you're loved on your worst day. God loves you so much that he held nothing back, not even his own son, so that you could be forgiven and restored. Do you know that love? Do you soak it in every day? Has Jesus' love changed you? Has it made it so that you can't help but demonstrate that single-minded focus on him? Does this love bubble up inside of you so it just naturally spills out onto those around you? I want to encourage all of us to take stock of our hearts today. Do you have a heart that is fully devoted to Jesus with single-minded focus on him? resulting in sacrificial and joyful giving and pointing others to your Father in heaven? Or are you lukewarm, resistant, even cold towards him? He longs to show you his love today. All you have to do is open yourself to receive it. Open your heart to receive him today. It doesn't matter if you're seeking him for the first time or if you've been a Christian for your entire life. Jesus wants more of your heart. Will you just let him in? Please bow with me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that before we could ever do anything for you, before we could show our love to you, you died for us. You have forgiven our sins. You offer us the chance of redemption and new life. We thank you that you loved us first. We pray that we would receive the truth of this story and this woman's actions, that it would change our hearts, that we would let you enter our hearts, that we would let you come and fill us, pour your love into us, that we might pour it out to you and to those around us. We pray that if there's anything that's keeping us from receiving you, that you would remove it. We pray for my friends here who long to know you more. We know that you hear their prayer and that you are answering it even at this moment. We thank you for who you are, for your grace and love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.